This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Empire. What you see can tell you everything. And the fact is a lot of nonverbal communication comes in through our eyes. Uh, if you imagine talking to your children, you don't have to keep repeating their name to remind them that you're actually indeed talking to them. That's how we communicate attention and intent. Uh, and increasingly, I think the expectation is that machines will respond the way humans naturally do. That's Anand Srivatsap, CEO of Toby, where eye-tracking technology could unlock potential. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Connecting what you see to useful productivity and peak performance. That's the case study of Toby, where eye tracking is viewed as a key to understanding potential. Our guest this week is Anand Srivatsap. He is the CEO of Toby, which is a company that is in eye tracking in sports performance research. Let's get into modern sports technology and health. Thank you so much for joining us, Anand. Thank you so much, Bram. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about what Toby does. So what Toby does uh, is we are a company that's focused on delivering sort of the next future of human-computer interaction. The company was founded about 20 years ago with a focus on using your eyes as a way to control uh, your computer. Over the last 20 years, we've realized that there's a huge amount of potential uh, when you understand where somebody's looking, what they're paying attention to. It's much more than just having the next generation mouse. It actually gives much more insight into how people make decisions. And that's where we see the intersection with things like sports coming into play. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about the development of that from where it started to where it is now. Yeah. 20 years ago, the founders of uh, Toby were three Swedish entrepreneurs that were coming out of uh, graduate school and engineering. And you know, they were starting to see uh, the proliferation of web cameras and cameras in general. And they realized that there was a way to use those cameras to actually get a better view of where somebody was looking to advance the field of computer vision, which is to give sensors to machines. Uh, so they started with the technology to look at how you could deploy eye tracking in a more scalable way. Again, with the intention initially to go and uh, make this a new way to go control uh, a computer, much like we have mice and keyboard today. The challenge in the technology that we see is, of course, making this work for everyone. Yeah. As you can imagine, uh, you know, you have brown colored eyes. I have brown eyes as well. But here in Sweden, predominantly, most people have blue colored eyes. And it turns out that the first set of technology that our founders built, they were actually very much tuned to blue eyes. And so what we've spent the last two decades working on is to miniaturize this technology make it something that can work for everyone in all kinds of conditions and make it more robust in a way that it can actually be deployed more broadly. Okay. Um, well, let me ask this question then. I don't mind having a mouse. Like, why do I need this? 
Uh, it's really interesting. I think, you know, we have learned a lot of skills on how we communicate with machines. But today, the trend of machines communicating with humans on human terms is pretty clear. Imagine sort of the impact of things like Siri or Alexa. The first cu- couple of times we needed to talk to a machine, the fact that we had to say things in a particular order, not the way we would typically communicate with each other, that's quite annoying. Of course, people who are used to it get used to it. And we're used to sort of using a mouse or hitting control alt delete to log in. But if you think about how people interact with machines today, we expect that machines will understand how we naturally speak. And the fact is a lot of nonverbal communication comes in through our eyes. Uh, if you imagine talking to your children, you don't have to keep repeating their name to remind them that you're actually indeed talking to them. That's how we communicate attention and intent. Uh, and increasingly, I think the expectation is that machines will respond the way humans naturally do. Okay. Uh, and that's what we're going to expect. Let me just take into account um, the idea of, uh, and I'm someone who gets distracted all the time. How does distraction play into this type of technology? So fundamentally, I think uh, when we look at sort of what we're able to do with these kinds of devices, there are many ways that this can be used uh, in uh, machines. For example, we've talked about some use cases relating to computers. There are examples where this can be used even in things like automobiles. And a good example there around distraction is think about you as a driver getting distracted in a car and not paying attention to the road. A car that knows where you're looking could subtly warn you to tell you, hey, you need to get back to look on the road. This is something that governments across the world are looking to add in cars as a mandatory safety feature to ensure that there are fewer accidents. And this is an example of how if machines understand what you're looking at, it can be used in ways that can really improve lives. Would your car know if you were inebriated this type of technology? Would it know that? Uh, There is work going on into whether or not through sort of camera systems, you can yeah. understand inebriation. It's a little bit complicated because, of course, it depends on things like lighting, et cetera. But that is one of the things that the U.S. government is asking uh, uh, Congress to actually look at, uh, to survey what technologies are there to, of course, reduce the uh, terrible tolls of drunk driving. Right. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the transition to sports. Um, where did you see this crossing over into major sports? Yeah, I think the the big trend we see, of course, is, uh, and, and this is quite important to understand the potential of the technology that we're working on. Humans are very much visual animals. 80% of sort of the information that comes to your brain and is processed from your brain actually is related to your vision system. So we are first and foremost a vision animal. What that means is that in order for us to take action, most of the information that we take for that action is coming from our eyes, whether it's reading or other kinds of activity. Uh, and so one of the Uh, powerful uh, levels of insight you get when you look at what somebody's looking at before they take an action is sort of the information they've likely processed before they took a particular action. And this is actually uh, something that happens on all kinds of skills or activities, from education to a factory worker, and of course, to sports. And the more important it is to tune somebody's performance, the more important it is to understand what are the elements that have gone into a particular set of decision-making. And today, I think in sports, this is incredibly important. We've seen the rise of statistics and sort of metadata that comes in to understand what is actually driving a particular athlete's performance to predict their potential performance. Uh, And so we're seeing the use of these kinds of technologies to really understand the predictors of success or failure in a particular sport. Okay. So when you get this type of data and you give it back to the teams, what are you, what are you telling them about performance? 
Yeah, so, so what we see uh, people using our technology for is uh, they're looking, for example, let's take the case of a basketball player. They're looking at what people do before they shoot a basketball. What yeah. makes somebody a better shooter versus somebody who has a lower field goal percentage? And they're able to, of course, look at uh, you know the things that typically we'd have looked at in the past, like form. But it turns out that what your eyes are paying attention to before you shoot actually has a pretty strong correlation to how good of a shooter you are. And working on those things can improve your outcomes as a shooter. We've seen that with free throw shooting in basketball. We see that also uh, in elements of uh, baseball with pitchers. Uh, are they actually spotting uh, the target? Is their eyes staying fixed on the target or not? And that actually has a huge correlation to your predictability in your uh, in your pitching. You know, are you actually hitting that uh, target zone or you're a little bit wild. Uh, and so what ends up happening is uh, the people that are using our technology here, they're using them for two sets of things, assessing the raw capability of a person uh, in terms of this kind of performance. The second one, of course, to then say if there's coaching that can go in to go and improve that performance. Uh, the other um, place that I'm pretty excited about, of course, is decision making. So, you know, these two other things, which is free throw shooting or, you know, throwing a baseball, those things are not necessarily at the levels of conscious decision making. But, you know, if you imagine what we're trying to do with uh, quarterbacks or somebody else who has to go read a defense, the question that you could look at is uh, whether they have looked at all of the right inputs before they've made a decision of where to deliver mm -hmm. the ball. Did they read the defense? Did they see where the cornerback was playing before they decided where they were going to make that pass? Of course, that can have a huge impact on a team's belief in the ability of one quarterback versus the other, uh, maybe to understand how quickly somebody is able to make the decision. You know, was it just a good outcome or was it a good decision that led to a good outcome? So the idea here is you're going to potentially retrain athletes of all levels um, to train their eyes to look at the right things. Is that the best way to put this? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, uh, what we see is there's an opportunity here to maximize performance for athletes at all levels. In order to maximize performance, I think the first thing you have to understand is what, is the, uh, what are the factors that correlate to performance. We see that having sort of uh, a, your eyes focused on the right spots for targets can improve just outcomes of certain actions, shooting, throwing a ball. The second one, of course, is when the actions that are being taken need your brain to go through a set of inputs before a decision is made. That's another thing that you can go and measure by using these kinds of techniques. Uh, and you can do that, of course, live uh, during a drill, etc. And all of those things can be pieces of inputs to either assess a player uh, or assess an athlete on what their potential is, and of course, also to help train and coach them to get the, the most out of their uh, performance. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I would assume that the athletes you're working with, especially the high level ones who could sit there and say to you, I'm in the NBA. I clearly know what I'm doing. I've made it this far. They're open to this idea of being trained differently to look at things differently. Yeah, you know, again, uh, we have a lot of coaches and other uh, folks who use our technology with these athletes. But if I share some of the anecdotes that we get with them, the surprising aspect is that many of the axioms you learn uh, or are taught as an athlete getting coached by coaches turns out to not always be exactly true. So yeah. I'll share a story we have from a a, um, uh, a researcher in uh, sports uh, performance. Okay, who actually was on his way to be a professional soccer player. You know, a lot of the coaching that he received was sort of, you know, and I've, I've seen this myself in basketball, is, you know, when you're looking at defending a player, you should be looking at their belly button. That's sort of the indicator of where they're going to be moving. Don't sort of read the fakes that are coming in with the shoulders or other things. The reality... Right, you know, because that, wherever that, the belly button goes is where the ball goes. That's right. They, exactly. they can't fake that. But yes. That's exactly right. And that's sort of the axiom that he was using. But he was saying, hey, by the time the belly button's moved, it's too late. You know, you can't wait for the <laughs> belly button to basically read yeah. where it is. So in fact, the best players in the world are reading other things to go and anticipate where the ball is going, not the belly button. Clearly, if you follow the belly button, you won't go the wrong way, but you'll be too late to go and react to it. So he was talking about these kinds of axioms that he's heard a lot. And when you actually put glasses on players that are really good defenders, you see that they're not watching the belly button. In fact, they may have no idea why it is that they're actually successful in anticipating the movement, but they have been coached to look at the belly button, but that's not what they're doing. And this is the kind of insight you can get when you actually see what they're looking at before uh, something happens yeah. in the game. Yeah, that peripherally they're seeing something develop, likely, right? And that's what they're looking at. They've been prepared for whatever the situation may be. And because they're focused on the right thing, they can anticipate. They're a step ahead, technically. Exactly. They may be looking at the lead knee. They may know that somebody who's a left-handed dribbler is going to have a certain movement here. Again, these are things with hours and, you know, hours of play that they've been engaged in thousands and thousands of hours that they themselves may have picked up yeah. subconsciously of what's the right clue for where somebody's going. But again, the training that they're getting is looking at the belly button. Yeah. I, listen, I mean, like, because I, I'm a voice of a football team, often we talk about stances with players. That information is imperative for someone. If a right tackle is standing a certain way, it is almost definitively going to be a pass play. And therefore, if you notice that, look at that and are paying attention to that, you have an advantage, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and let's get to decision making here, because um, you mentioned that. Like, it would, how does this technology help potentially with decision making? Yeah. So again, if you think about how uh, we process information visually, it, it takes a little bit of time for your eyes to look at something and actually register that in your brain. So, for example, if you want to get a sense of whether a quarterback has scanned the defense before they've made a decision, if you had this technology embedded in their helmet, for example. You could see where they spend time. Are they looking at the middle linebacker before they've decided where they're going to pass? Or did they basically not see the defense but still have a good outcome or a bad outcome? Uh, this kind of stuff, of course, is quite important and quite difficult to go and get if you, are, uh, if you don't have the technology available sort of almost in the helmet in uh, real time. Because these are the kinds of things that maybe a person has a view of what they were looking at or they thought they were seeing. Uh, but in reality, uh, they were seeing something completely different. If I share 
another anecdote uh, related to this. You know, there's a there's a soccer player I think at a college level uh, who typically uh, was a very very good performer, but once in a while would find themselves out of position. Yeah. Uh, when this researcher was asking them, "Hey, what's going on here?" They had no idea. They were like, "I think everything's fine." They put these glasses on her, and then uh, you know, in the next game or in their next scrimmage, I think after their scrimmage, they said, "Hey, uh, what were you doing during the uh, during the scrimmage?" They were like, "Up, oh, I was looking at you know the back line. I'm looking at where the ball's moving, et cetera, et cetera." And they go, "So why were you looking at the plane?" And then they go, what are you talking about? I was looking at the plane. They go, in this video, clearly we could see there are points in the scrimmage when you're looking out at trees, out at the plane, and they could start correlating to when you know they were feeling mentally tired, they were losing focus, and then finding themselves sort of out of position. This was something that the athlete had no memory of, that they were focused on something different, huh. because of course, their training is telling them you got to look at certain things. Uh, this is, I think, the kind of areas where you can sort of bring uh, a level of knowledge uh, into the athlete and of course maybe come up with techniques of how you avoid uh, that kind of behavior in the future and make sure you don't get caught you know in the wrong position um i, I don't want to get too far off track but like obviously in the news cycles right now is all of this technology in ai there's a tremendous amount of interest in the large language models. And I think a, a number of the type of, you're not, this type of technology doesn't seem to be getting the news cycles, but it's, it's all coming. Um, could you just, just generally give us a sense that you're working in this type of field, what you make of what's happening right now in the field of artificial intelligence? Um, again, that's a very broad question. Yeah. Again, it's super exciting. The set of changes that are happening with uh, generative AI, I would say that, you know, where we are is, is on a quite a different part of the yeah. technology yeah, yeah, yeah. spectrum. Um, I think, you know, if we take it at the highest levels, I think um, it's my belief that, you know, as we look at where technology can go, we can find great examples of how it can be incredibly helpful and powerful uh, if it's used the right way. I think, of course, a lot of the concerns with generative AI right now is that uh, those lines of where is technology helpful and harmful, I think they're quite blurry. And I think we need to spend a lot of time to make sure that we don't end up sort of promoting technology that ultimately will be harmful, whether it is, you know, disrupting people in a way that their livelihoods are under uh, attack and there's no way to go and manage that in a good way or having information that we assume is factually correct, but is really a hallucination of an AI. I think there are some risk elements there. And I think it is, of course, moving quite quickly. So we need to be a little bit careful. Uh, but I do believe ultimately in the promise of technology. Um, one example, I think, sort of the space we're in is actually back to the uses of this technology beyond sort of optimizing performance uh, related to sort of athlete health. Uh, and one uh, sort of a, a, a tool that is sort of linked to this kind of technology is that we can use our solutions not just, of course, to understand what you're looking at and look at decision making, but we're able to track with very minute detail uh, almost uh, movements of your eyes that are below your conscious level. And these can be used to determine if you've had a concussion or a traumatic yeah. brain injury on the field. We have partners of ours that are using uh, this technology in a VR headset. So imagine if you've actually had a collision, you can put a VR headset on and get a really quantitative uh, assessment of whether you know, you've had a traumatic brain injury and should probably be held out because you're at risk. Uh, that I think is the kind of uh, benefit of a technology like this, which is beyond sort of just the human expectation of, you know, uh, nonverbal communication. I think those kinds of aspects, of course, are very, very powerful. Uh, and I, I do believe that if technologies are used the right way, they can help us uh, deliver that kind of value. 
Okay. Um, last thing, and I'm kind of remiss, I should have asked you this earlier, but you've mentioned glasses and wearables. Um, how does it work? Like, can you just kind of give us a sense of how you collect the data? Yeah. So basically the, the technique of eye tracking, the way it works when you need high performance eye tracking is there's a set of infrared LEDs that paints an image on your eyes. That image is detected by a camera, which allows the camera to see sort of where your pupil is exactly. And we do some complicated math to turn uh, where your pupil is looking uh, to uh, the reference space that you're in, uh, in the field, on a computer screen, et cetera. And that's sort of how we are able to determine it. The complexity uh, for a um, wearable eye tracker, of course, is that it needs to be quite small, it needs to be quite close to your uh, face, and it needs to be quite light. And these are the areas where we've been working on from an eye tracking perspective to go and make the technology more uh, miniaturized, lower power, and still make sure that it works for everyone. Uh, that's been the challenge that we've been working on for the last 20 years. It's really interesting. Anand Srivatsa is the CEO at Toby. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bram. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On the next Future Sport Podcast, e-racing is making strides. You know, Formula E has been set up from the onset to be a net zero carbon circuit. And it is really all about high performance vehicle electrification. And that's why we joined that circuit. It, it is around proving out technologies that will go from race to road. That's Tim Bovin, Commercial Vice President of Mobility Science at Dow. The products company is working with Jaguar to improve the technology around energy-efficient racing. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.